0: Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail... Ah, oh, retirement. Putting your feet up after decades of hard work. Resting the body. Spending more time with the grandkids. Avoiding your husband. I don't know, learning how to play the harp. A time when your many years of contributing to society finally start to pay off... <laughs> Wait, what's that? We've got New Mass University research. The lump sum for a couple to enjoy a comfortable so-called choices retirement. Living in a major city is up to $809,000. Wait, what? Eight, $809,000 in your bank account to live a comfortable lifestyle? On top of super, 809000 Well, not quite. That sensational headline figure, which you might have seen comes from Massey University's Retirement Expenditure Guidelines. It's one of many figures in that research. 809000 is the amount a couple who live in Auckland, Wellington or Christchurch and who own their own home would need to live what's described as a choices lifestyle for 25 years, from age 65 to age 90. That's one where you take care of your necessities and you have a bit left over for treats and luxuries and so on. By contrast, a couple living in provincial New Zealand and who are happy with a pretty bare bones, no frills lifestyle can get by on just 70 grand for those 25 years. So there's a bit of variation, but one thing is for certain people are living longer, inflation in certain areas like housing is massively outpacing inflation in other areas, and all this means you really need to start thinking about your later years. Earlier, or else. New figures show older New Zealanders are
1: struggling financially heading to retirement and uh, are making up an increasing percentage of bankruptcies. Almost 30% of bankruptcies are by people aged over 55, and that's up from just over 20% in 2010.
0: Today on the podcast, the Retirement Commissioner, Jane Wrightson, talks shifting sands in the world of retirement growing inequities between those who own their homes and those who don't, the crucial importance of being honest about your finances and planning for the future, and whether New Zealand's KiwiSaver and superannuation schemes are actually doing enough to help people ease relatively comfortably into their post-work years.
2: That's a key message to get out to the pre-retirees, that you can't go into retirement and expect to survive on New Zealand super alone. It's not going to be sufficient. It's barely enough to survive on. And most people want to do more than just survive.
0: You wake up on the morning of November the 16th, you're having your breakfast, maybe you open the paper, and a headline beams out at you Mind the gap, couples need $809,000 nest egg to retire with choices at age 65. What is your reaction?
1: It absolutely depends who you are. There'll be a very small proportion of people who'll go, that's not enough. And there'll be a large proportion of people who'll go, that's absolutely impossible. And so (laughs) as any large number um, encourages you to panic. And of course, the main message is don't panic. Um, It's a difficult area, this. um, And long-term saving and retirement planning has always been tricky because it always sounds so terrifying, doesn't it? And it isn't actually when you boil it down. Mm. But when you put big, big numbers on, it's tough. The way that this kind of information is put out is always, this is the dollar figure you need. Um, and our response to that, generally speaking, is that's an interesting figure. But we're a bit more interested in the behavioural psychology around this, which means what, what can we do to motivate people mm. to think beyond the now and to think into the very um, long distance. And right now, in in 2021, it's a very tough time, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because we're we're in a period of uncertainty, both nationally and globally, that I've never seen in my lifetime before. So the hard thing is thinking, what do I need in 10, 20, 30 years? Uh, And the answer is, well, you'll need some money. You need to think very hard about how you might get there. The old um, chestnut, you know, little and long, put a little bit of money away for a very long time. That's a very good principle. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get too hung up about a particular number um, unless you're really um, clear that that's the number you want and that you've got a pathway to get it.
0: The research that that figure came from is is the Mass University um, Fin Ed Centre Annual Retirement Expenditure Guidelines. That is a mouthful. There are many syllables there. Are you familiar with these guidelines? Are they sort of a semi-regular kind of thing? Are they a thing that, that, that you guys at the Commission pay attention to?
1: Um, we use it for our sorted calculator, sure, because it's useful for that. Um, it's an annual thing done by, by a university, you know, and it's... Um, got a particular methodology. The methodology itself generally chops out the very rich and the very poor. So we're talking about middle-ish people. All data is useful in some ways, but I would never personally rely on one source for making my own plans.
0: Yeah. Well, that seems like a crucial element of this, is that like this is a a broad brush kind of thing. It's helpful in getting an indication of how much money different people need to support different types of lifestyles, but it's less helpful in coming to a single number of you need this much money to retire, presumably because there are many people in many situations, and actually it's sort of impossible to come up with a single number that you need to retire.
1: Well, that's right, because there are so many variables, not the least of which is that as some chunks of the population won't get to pension age, mm. you know? Um, so it's just a thing. Um, you really need to just think about that when you hit pension age, which is 65, will living on the pension be enough for you? And the answer to that is, if you have a modest lifestyle, and particularly if you own your own home mortgage free, it's possible, but it's very low frills. And it probably isn't really feasible if you want to do anything else other than um, live in your house and tend a garden, Mm -hmm. you know? So you just think a bit more broadly than that. And you say, what do I want, say, in my late 60s? What do I want in my 70s? And by the time I hit my 80s, and if my demographic is one that tends to hit the 80s and some aren't, um, what would I need then? Generally speaking, you need more money at the beginning of your um, pension years, and and that tapers off um, until your 80s and 90s. I think the big question really is that because we're living longer, you know, 40, 50 years ago, somebody of pension age might live maybe 15 years. Mm. And it's entirely possible people now will live 30, 40 years. Mm. Um, And so that gives you a little bit of um, pause for thought, I think. It's why people will work longer. And that's not an excuse to put the pension age up, in my view. People need to work longer to fund their non-working years. Mm. But thinking about this just occasionally and, and not too obsessively, and putting money away, a little that you can afford for a long time is just generally all you need to do. And if you're young, you've got to be in KiwiSaver, no question. Mm.
2: <laughs> the reality is that it's important to start early. It's never too late to start, but the earlier you start, the better it is.
1: It's more, I think, about the lifestyle you want and then the lifestyle you want um, at pension age and then when you stop working. So if you... Um, are used to the fine things of life, then you will want to continue that. And if that's the case, you will have to save or have a a decent portfolio and be relatively wealthy. And some people are like that. Others will say, I don't want to work as long as I could because I'm I'm tired or um, I'm feeling overwhelmed or whatever it is, and so I'll cut my cloth and this is where you see, you know, the downsizing happening, um, where people shift out of their expensive walk place and buy somewhere down line, which is what they're doing. Mm. Um, and that's also good. It just, the whole point around all of this, I think, is that it's worth thinking about at periodic times during your life. And it's really easy to say that uh, and really hard to do. And this retirement commissioner has been quite poor at it herself over her life.
0: <laughs> Have you really? How do, how do you mean?
1: Well, I've not thought about it um, as consistently as I should have. I took financial advice in my 20s and then stuck with the same thing for about 20 years until I realised my money wasn't really working hard at all. Mm. You know, I've had a life shock or two, which everybody does. I've had a child, and that's costly, as you know. So, you know, things, things happen on your trajectory between your first pay packet and your last. Mm. And just taking some time out to think and to take advice is a smart thing to do.
0: It's interesting to hear you say that because I I came up with a tortured metaphor about this, um, if you'll indulge me. For a long time, for about 12 years, I smoked cigarettes. I would rationalise it to myself by saying, I will quit one day, but I'm kind of having fun at the moment. I quite like smoking and I've got plenty of time to do that. Before you know it, I'm 28 years old and I'm huffing and puffing when I walk up two flights of stairs and maybe retirement it's easy to think of it as being so far off as to seem purely theoretical.
1: That's right. I mean, retirement is barely relevant, I think, until you start probably hitting your 40s and 50s. And then even that depends on who you are and what you're up to. Um, giving up smoking is quite a good analogy, actually, because, again, that's rooted in behavioural psychology. Mm-hmm. How, would I, how would I stop doing this um, money-wasting thing and how would I translate that into something that's better for me and better for my future? And, you know, people don't generally have light bulb moments. It comes as a dawning realization on occasion or, or sometimes because of a life shock.
0: Now, one interesting facet of all this is inflation. In most areas of everyday life, inflation hasn't been too bad over the past few years. According to the Reserve Bank's comparison tool, general inflation, the Consumer Price Index, has risen by about 7% from 2017 to 2021. Food has increased in price by about 6.5%, transport by about 3.5%, clothing has actually gone down by a couple of percent, and wages have risen by about 14%. Housing, though, that's a whole other ballgame. The cost of housing, according to the RBNZ, has risen by more than 40% in just four years. Now, of course, home ownership is high among older people, but it's on the decline. It used to be that 78% of retirees owned their own homes. That's dropped to 72%. Nearly a quarter of over 65s are either still servicing a mortgage or are renting. And of those in the 55 to 64 bracket, the pension adjacent bracket, only 38% are mortgage-free. Banking expert Claire Matthews, who co-authored the Massey University report, told Jim Mora in 2019 that this was a big spanner in the retirement works.
2: If you were actually going to move from a house that you own into rental accommodation, that would change those numbers quite significantly, because then you've got to pay rent. The reality is that for most of our retirees in this report, they own their own home, they don't have a mortgage, so the housing expenses is a very small amount. Uh, and if you have to pay rent of probably a couple of hundred is doing quite well a week, that's uh, quite a bit of extra savings that you require.
0: Of course, if you do own a home and you don't have a mortgage, you have both a pretty much free place to live and a nice old asset worth anything from a few hundred thousand to a few million, depending on the house, and more on that in a bit. But I wanted to know from Jane Wrightson whether... Growing inequality in the housing market, which is so often framed as an issue for young people, also affects those at the other end of the age spectrum.
1: Not quite yet, but increasingly. So traditionally speaking, there'd be a a cohort of people, maybe 20%, who'd get to pension age and for the first time in their life, they would have a stable income, regular, Mm -hmm. same amount, slightly adjusted every year, you know, and that's a bit staggering all by itself, isn't it? Because Mm -hmm. the pension is quite modest. But for them, sometimes, and and for women in particular, sometimes it was the first money they had in their own right. So that's your traditional view. The other traditional view around the pension, of course, is that it is not designed to cover accommodation costs. You're meant to, at that point, either have a freehold home or be in a comfy little council flat at um, a modest rental. Now, both of those scenarios, of course, are significantly under challenge. Mm. So we see um, an impending problem on the older person's housing front, um, which will get worse before it gets better. Uh, and we are trying to um, involve ourselves in some of the housing discussions at the moment, because until recently, the, discu- the dis- discussion's all been around um, first-time buyers, mm. who are in big trouble, no question, absolutely a problem. But there's also a problem for older people um, and appropriate housing. Even if you have um, an an average Auckland house, which is worth quite a lot, Mm -hmm. um, and your plan was to downsize and live off the difference in capital, what are you going to downsize to exactly? Where are those nice little two-bedroom brick and tiles that you imagined you might be able to downsize to? Well, they're not being built. That's the thing. So there's lots of things going on here. Um, all of which are complicated and there's no easy answer. But they're the kind of things you want to put in your mind as you start thinking every once in a while, what does my future 5, 10, uh, 15-year-old year further on self feel like? The main thing is that people devising housing policy think more broadly that sometimes than what the current crisis is. And, you know, I'm not saying there isn't a crisis of first-time ownership. <laughs> there absolutely is. And it's not all to do with housing supply, but it's it's been part to do with housing supply. Yeah. Um, and the same for older folk. You know, if, if you're um, sufficiently well set up, you'll just go straight into a retirement village. Job done. Uh, and about 14% of older people are in there. But, you know, they cost money. You lose capital. Mm. Um, they're terrific places to live in, provided you've got the backing. So that's good. What does everybody else do? You know, at the moment, there's about one in four, uh, the the 2018 data, because we haven't got anything newer, I don't think, says that about one in four people aged um, 60 to 64 don't own the home they live in. Hmm. So that's quite scary because living on the pension and paying a mortgage is, I would say, almost impossible.
0: We do have systems. We've talked about some of them in New Zealand to help soften the financial shock of retirement. We've talked about KiwiSaver. We've talked a bit about superannuation. But, um, you know, this research, it almost relegates super to a sort of pocket money status. And it's certainly not seen as being enough to live on, because it's not enough to live on. Does that concern you? To answer that
1: question, I think it's best to think about the retirement income uh, system as a whole. And New Zealand has a two tier system, and some countries have three. So our two-tier system is the government contribution, which is NZ Super, which in effect provides a baseline income for eligible people.
2: Mm.
1: To get the lifestyle that you want and are used to relies on private savings. Mm. So that's the two tiers, right? The government contribution for your baseline. So it's kind of of like a universal basic income, sort of, Mm. not quite universal, but nearly. And then your own private savings to top up to what you need. There's an expectation that there's two things going on here, what you save and what you're entitled to. There's a third tier internationally, which is the compulsory workplace schemes, which is something that has pretty much disappeared from New Zealand at all. Mm. Um, and that's why countries like Australia, uh, their people approaching retirement and in retirement are much better off. Pension are not designed for... Um, ultra-comfortable lifestyle and I don't think it ever was. Not many governments, I think, would um, want that kind of conversation because <laughs> it's incredibly expensive.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's exactly and and that's sort of the that's one of the interesting things about this conversation, isn't it, is super it comes at huge financial costs for the country.
1: Well, I think mean- yeah, I take some exception to that too because I read a lot of government documents about older people and the pension and things, and it's always expressed negatively. It is a cost and a burden to the country. But
0: it is a, a cost. I mean, I, 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 mean I, I, I say that without judgment. It, 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 like when we say it comes at a huge financial cost, um, I, I'm just saying I'm stating that as a fact. You know, it is very expensive. I think it was 11 billion dollars in 2019. That's 10 percent of total expenditure. That is a a, a, a lot of money. I guess the point that I, want, that I want to make is you want that money to be, you know, practically useful to people, right? Super has to be a meaningful amount of money, doesn't it?
1: Um, and it is a meaningful amount of money. Mm. Um, certainly pensioners, the, the, the vast majority of pensioners can't live without it. Um, so it's meaningful, right? Um, is it enough? What, how long was a piece of string? Yeah. It's, it's adequate. It's adequate. And I don't think it's designed to be any more than adequate.
0: Well, um, do do you actually think it's a, because I mean you, you know the the thing about this is you, you you hear a lot of people saying Super is eleven billion dollars now. It's ten percent of uh, government expenditure now. By the twenty fifties, it's estimated that a quarter of New Zealand's population will will qualify for Super. You know, it's it's seen as being this very slowly ticking financial sort of time time bomb and that I agree with you, that is very sort of bombastic and, and sort of negative rhetoric but that, that is the way that it's kind of talked about.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's exactly the same as the conversation around whether you need 890 some, something thousand dollars to retire, mm-hmm. you know um, it's a number um, and it's a scary number and if you just take it at, at, at its face value you go, oh that's terrible can't be happening If you look at the cost of super, which is um, less than the cost of health, um, you're looking at it as basically a proportion of GDP. Now, even with our ageing population, um, I think the latest predictions are that we'll hit about 7.5% of GDP, being NZ super costs. But as you say, that's for a quarter of the population. So is 7.5% of GDP um, too much for a quarter of the population? I I would
0: that's arguable yeah no and, and that's a perfectly I i i i completely take your point i mean my question i suppose on this is you know there are a lot of people who say super needs to be fundamentally changed so that the country isn't financially crippled by this sort of arrangement over the next century or so do you agree that super needs to be fundamentally changed but maybe in in a different sort of direction or do you think it really does serve its purpose at the moment
1: I think it completely serves its purpose at the moment. I don't think it needs fundamental change and you won't persuade me otherwise unless the country in effect is going bust and it's not.
0: So I suppose moral of the story here is you don't don't need to plan for your retirement like the Count of Monte Cristo hidden away in your cave for 30 years plotting how everything is going to go when you finally reach the age of 65 but doing a bit of advanced planning definitely can't hurt, and it definitely can help.
1: That's exactly right. And that's where KiwiSaver was was genius. Um, and and I'll, there's a, a few things you can talk about around KiwiSaver, but the introduction of KiwiSaver has been a game changer. And if you think about the two generations back, and this is basically the Gen Xs, that generation had neither financial education in schools, and nor did they have the kind of workplace pension schemes that that my generation had. Um, uh, if you worked for a larger employer, they were they all kind of disappeared in the late eighties. So for twenty years, there was no really effective way you could, in, in inverted commas, save for your retirement. So they got hit several ways. And so when KiwiSaver was introduced, which is the world's easiest way to save money for your retirement, and the genius step, I think, was saying, oh, and you can withdraw it out for a house in the middle of that period yeah. because that, keep, that gets a younger person focused. Retirement doesn't, but housing might. Um, it's a really clever scheme, and it will, it will work brilliantly for most people. Um, for those that, that are highly financially capable, they'll have many other things they'll want to do. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, and for those who think that KiwiSaver is a waste of time or they can't be bothered or they're self-employed so it doesn't matter, you know, there's a bit more thinking for them to do. But largely speaking, you've got a really easy option.
0: It's interesting to hear you talk about KiwiSaver because um, I have to say, you know, my generation, uh, I'm 30, and and I certainly, I certainly think of KiwiSaver this way, not as a retirement nest egg, but as a housing deposit. But I suppose... Uh, In a sense, and this is a little bit depressing, but in a sense, having a house is a retirement nest egg.
1: Well, that's right. And you also have seen how you manage to get a reasonable sum of money by saving little and long and then chunking in some money as you turned up. And, you know, um, you'll get on the housing ladder sooner or later. Don't ignore the people who talk about it being utterly impossible. It's just incredibly difficult at the moment. Mm -hmm. That's that's why KiwiSaver as a whole is such a good retirement planning system, if you like, because you've got the carrot in the middle. Oh. And as you say, a house is one of the best parts of your retirement plan you can um, work towards. No question.
0: That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks, for more than one reason, to Jane Wrightson. You commissioned the detail, didn't you?
1: I did. <laughs> hey, look at that. <laughs> I know. I mean, I had it in my retirement plan, did yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 Matewa.